All right. So let me acknowledge, again, you may be in different places in your relationship. Uh, and although I am a pastor here at Gateway South, and we'll certainly talk about some spiritual principles, I've seen these principles work no matter where you may be in your uh, journey with God. So like I said, uh, we'll get your email. There's a sheet coming around. Give us your email. I'll send you the notes. You can certainly write down whatever you'd like to. If you can't avoid writing on the front, because that's for a, uh, something later on for you, okay? So uh, I'm going to give you some good news. I'll give you some bad news. What do you want first? Bad news. Bad news. All right. It's a rainy day. Uh, marriage can be one of the most challenging relationships in your life. Good news, it can also be the most rewarding. And um, my wife, Deborah, and I have been married 25 years, coming up in March. And we've had some amazing seasons, and we've had some really tough seasons. And uh, when you're dating, this may have happened to you, uh, we are complete opposites. And it was mesmerizing. She was so mysterious and so different. And I was just so intrigued by her. And I think her of me. Uh, but when opposites attract while they're dating, when they become married, they can annoy each other. And uh, these, are, these are genuine questions. My wife sometimes like to a likes to ask me questions I could never possibly answer correctly. And this may or may not happen in your life, but it has happened for, to me. Uh, she has asked me before, Eric, would you still love me if I gain weight? So I said, how much? Of course not, right? I said, of course, I'll love you no matter what, right? Another time, true story, she asked me, Eric, would you still love me if I was horribly disfigured in an auto accident? So I said, well, were you driving my car, or were you at fault, or is our insurance going up? Of course, I did not say that. I said, of course, sweetheart, I would love you no matter what. Another time she asked me, and usually, by the way, these are uh, kind of taps on the shoulder in the middle of the night. Right? So I'm disoriented as well. One time she asked me, Eric, I need to know, would you still love me if I were a man? It's like, what are you, what? You know, what are you talking about? She said, what if the only way for me to survive that auto accident was to become a man? It's like, what kind of accident did you have? <laughs> to where the only way to survive is to become a man. And so I thought about it. I was trying to figure out a way to make her feel comforted and loved. And so I said, Deborah, if the only way for you to survive the auto accident is to become a man, then I'll become a woman. I'll just, <laughs> just go to sleep. And so I tried to turn the tables on her. I tried to trick her, uh, you know, ask her a difficult question. So I asked her, I said, Deborah, would you still love me if spoke like Yoda did I? And she said, yes. I don't even think she got it. To be honest with you. And then another time, true story, I tapped her on the shoulder, middle of the night. I said, Deborah, Deborah, would you still love me if I were a woman? She didn't answer. So I tapped her on the shoulder again. I said, sweetheart, would you still love me if I were a woman? She said, I heard you the first time. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I got so mad. I was willing to give up my gender for you, and you're thinking about it? But the, the moral of the story is, um, sometimes the woman I've committed my life to 
The woman who knows me best is unsure if I love her. She has to ask me so that I can reaffirm because sometimes I don't treat her like I love her. Sometimes I don't treat her as if the vows I made on that wedding day uh, are even still in the back of my mind, right? And so what I want to do in our time together is walk you through five things that if you do them as a couple, it will revolutionize, it will maximize your marriage. Now, I used to call this five ways to avoid divorce. And uh, didn't have as many people sign up. <laughs> and so I, I went more positive. Uh, five ways to maximize your marriage. And these are things that we've implemented in our life. And these are things that whenever I have couples that come to me uh, for encouragement or counsel, these are things that I have seen. If you do these five things, it will absolutely maximize your marriage. All right? So whether you're engaged, whether you're in a great place, whether you're in crisis, whether it's been a, a tough, tough season or a great season, uh, whether you have kids, no kids, uh, my hope is what you'll hear today will be something you can implement and will help you along the way. Deborah and I uh, went through, um, and this is pretty typical, uh, things are going along great, then you have a first child, and that's actually fun. It's hard, but it can be very fun. But that second child, sometimes you'll see a lot of couples go into crisis uh, with the second child. There's like something that happens just before you have kids. Another real challenge is after a second child or third child. Uh, then another crisis is when the kids are out of the house. And so there's common moments when marriage is under fire. And for us, it was once the kids were uh, seven and four and I was struggling as a workaholic, although I didn't know that at the time. I just thought I was a hard worker. Uh, and so we were going through a very difficult season. And I've shared about this in the past, but at one point, uh, Deborah was talking about wanting to move. We lived in Los Angeles. We were there for, in the total, 13 years. We were in Seattle for four years. And we're from Texas. And so her desire was to move, to get back closer uh, to family here in Texas. Because I would go on two week-long trips and leave her with the four-year-old and seven-year-old. And her thoughts were, if I'm going to work this hard, at least I could be close to my family. And at first, it, it was just kind of, you know, this common argument that we would have. And then there was no decision. Let's move back. No, I don't want to. And then we kind of leave it there. And literally, we, we felt like we were not on the same page maybe for about three years. And in the midst of those three years, uh, sometimes I'd come home and see her on the computer. And then she'd shut it down real quick. And I'd be like, what are you, what are you doing over there? Oh, nothing. And uh, just looking at some houses, and it's like, oh, you don't like our 900-square-foot home, you know, with two bedrooms, one bathroom? Well, actually, this was in Dripping Springs, Texas. I was like, what? We live in L.A. And so I got on to her, like, this is not, this is, you know, we got, we're not moving there unless God tells us. And uh, I used to tease her that it was like property pornography. I'd come home and catch her <laughs> online looking at houses in new states. Uh, and uh, or landlust, you know, something. And so at, some, at one point, we were at my parents' house, which are my, uh, an hour outside of, El, uh, of Austin, and I heard my wife and my daughter and my mom and my aunt all talking, colluding together, agreeing to pray that we might move back to Texas. And I overheard them. And I don't like it when people start praying things that happen in my life I don't want to happen. I don't know about you. Uh, but we had a three-day drive back to Los Angeles where we argued the entire way. 
I was so upset and so frustrated. Now Trevi, my little girl, is praying we would move back to Texas. And so I finally told her, you know what, okay, I'll pray about it. Now you'd think as a pastor that wouldn't have been so hard to make happen, but it took years of me not being willing to even talk about it, to finally pray about it. And on that day that I went in to work out that morning, which kind of was a miracle itself, I, could have, I should have known something miraculous was going to happen. And so I go in to work out, and I'm praying, God, do you want us to live in Texas or here in Los Angeles? And I walk into the gym, and I literally hear a song I'd never heard before. I have never heard since. And the, the chorus goes, come back to Texas. <laughs> it's by Bowling for Soup. They sing the Phineas and, Fe uh, Phineas and Ferb theme song. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, surely that's not what you mean, God. And I get on the treadmill, and I'm standing in front of ESPN, and they're showing the highlights from a Texas versus California Little League baseball game. And so I pray, you know what, God, I don't, I don't want that to count. I don't believe that. So you know what, whoever wins this game, that's where we live. We'll live. And then Texas won. And I was like, okay, best three out of four, you know, three out of seven. <laughs> And, uh, and over the course of the next several months, God made it more and more clear that this is where we wanted, uh, he wanted us to be. Now, what happened, though, in the midst of all that, uh, we went through a really tough time where she told me, I'm not sure I want to be married to a pastor anymore, which is really a bad thing when you're a pastor. <laughs> and when she was called to be a pastor's wife, that's what she felt called by God to do. I had lived such a poor uh, example as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, that she no longer wanted to live out her calling, or at least didn't want me to. Something had to change. And in the midst of that, uh, I asked her for another year. Just give me another year to, to show you that I can do this, and I can be a good husband, can be a good father. And over that year, we started going to counseling. I started opening uh, up to what God might want to do. Uh, I started trying to be a better listener, started trying to be a better communicator. And so through our own marriage crisis, uh, what was really beautiful in the midst of that is when we did move to Texas, it was out of a desire to be here rather than running away from somewhere uh, because we were in a healthy place. Eventually, I wanted to move here and had to convince her, but that's a whole other story. So here's the five things I want to give you, five things that will help you maximize your marriage. All right, this is going to sound funny at first. Uh, and again, I know we're in different places on our spiritual journey, but this is really important. Number one, seek to grow in your relationship with God first and foremost. All right? Seek to grow in your relationship with God first and foremost. If you think about it, if, um, if you're over here and your partner's over here, right? You're both kind of parallel to each other. But if you're both pursuing Jesus, you're actually headed closer toward each other, right? And again, I know some of you may be in different places spiritually, but just hang with me for just a moment. But I want you to think of your spiritual growth as like when you get on the airplane and they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put it on someone else. And it always feels very counterintuitive, especially if you're flying with kids. But the idea is if you don't put it on yourself first and you try to put it on your kid and you pass out before you get it on your kid, both of you don't make it. Right? And so this idea of if you are being very intentional about becoming who you were created to be, you will actually be a better partner. You'll be a better person. Right? So 
having intentional time to grow spiritually is really important. Now, to grow spiritually is um, really very simple. A relationship with God is just like a relationship with a spouse. All right? It involves talking. We call that prayer. The next sermon series here, The Gateway, is on that very topic, the next three weeks. So there's talking and there's listening. Right? And so when it comes to listening to God, reading the scriptures, uh, listening to that still small voice inside. If you ever have a thought that requires selflessness and courage and certainly consistent with the character of God, that could be God's voice. Typically when I have a thought to do the dishes or throw away that cookie or something that is not normally what I think and requires some sort of sacrifice, it's probably God's spirit speaking to me. All right? All of us have all sorts of thoughts that are not God at all, all right? Uh, our own self, darkness, whatever you want to call it, or all the above. But talking, listening, so prayer, reading the scriptures when it comes to God. And then the third thing in any relationship, to grow in your relationship, is accommodating to the other. So you make adjustments. Um, for a relationship with God, that means making some sacrifices, living a life that honors God. When it comes to your spouse, you might start watching The Crown, right? Uh, all two seasons. And uh, my wife is super sweet to willingly watch that with me. So, uh, and, and then, uh, that's a true story. That, that was my suggestion. Uh, but, but I have come to like what she likes, and she has come to like what I like, uh, because we've made accommodations for each other. Uh, the fourth thing that helps you in your relationship with God, as well as with your spouse, is introducing your friends uh, to your spouse. And it, this is especially true if you're new to being married, uh, it's kind of a weird thing. You've got your family, and they've got their family, and you've got your friends, and they've got their friends. And the more you can integrate into each other's lives, the better, right? But the same is true in your relationship with God. The more that talking about God and introducing God to your friends and family, we're not talking about hitting people over the head with a Bible. We're just talking about being open and honest about your spiritual life. Uh, it's amazing the, the openness that even some of the people in our lives have. And uh, then the fifth thing is, uh, I, I kind of merge those together. First is introducing our friends to the other, and then now is meeting the other's friends, right? And so when it comes to spiritual growth, uh, connecting with other people of faith. When it comes to your spouse, integrating, doing your best to get to know his or her family and friends, right? So this is how to grow spiritually, right? And again, I'll send you these notes. Uh, regardless of your belief in God, applying these spiritual principles to your life truly makes a difference. When you start to value what the other person values, when you start to serve the other person. Now, here's the second one. That, that first one is easy, right? Because so far, the other person uh, is not involved. I, I, if you're just focusing on your relationship with God, it'll help you be a better person, better spouse. But the second one, this is where the rubber kind of starts to meet the road. And that is this. Never let the sun go down while you are angry. Now, that's a verse from the Bible. If you end up tweeting it uh, as if I said it, it will make me look stupid. So that is a verse from the Bible. Uh, Never let the sun go down while you are angry. Now, what this means is working through conflict every day. Now, when we don't do this, bitterness can creep in. And when bitterness creeps in, distance between us becomes a certainty. And in the midst of Distance comes temptation. So learning to forgive is a must because unforgiveness in our hearts creates doubts in our mind. Unforgiveness in our 
hearts creates doubts in our mind. And we literally can start looking backwards at our relationship and only see the negative and begin to see patterns that prove why we're feeling and this will never be better. But in reality, that's because there's unresolved conflict that has just gone on for months or even years. And so uh, here's how this works. Just out of curiosity, if you don't mind being open, this is just going to be helpful. Uh, how many of you, when it comes to conflict, you want to deal with it right now? How many of you are, let's just talk this out right now? How many of you are more like, you know what, you're coming on a little strong, give me some space? Maybe later, okay? Uh, several of you couples, uh, one, of, one of you is the chaser, the other is the, the runner, right? And, and let me give you a, a little tip that could help, all right? As I mentioned, we went for years on different pages when it comes to where we should live. And so there are some conflicts when I'm talking about don't let the sun go down before, uh, uh, while you're angry. It doesn't mean that you have to stay up all night and resolve this issue, right? We're not going to sleep until you tell me we're moving, right? That's not what I mean. What I mean is you can love that person even if you have something you disagree with. But you can still forgive. Hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I came out a little strong. I know... I was just triggered in that moment. Uh, it was a tough day. Displaced anger, by the way, is a very common problem we'll experience. The kid is crazy, and then next thing you know, you're yelling at your spouse because you've been yelled at by the kid uh, or at work. I mean, all the times, uh, we are, we, the proximity we have with each other is why we end up hurting each other so much. All right? And when you're at work, everybody's so sweet. Well, because you only see them at work, right? And so it's important to know that the proximity you have leads to both intimacy and frustration, right? Especially if you don't know how to work through conflict in a healthy way, all right? Uh, and so here, here's a, a couple of thoughts on how to do this, all right? Um, I'm going to use a, a couple of, of phrases that are from the scriptures that I find to be very helpful. The Bible says that each of us has a battle within us between the flesh and the spirit, Right? And so what happens is, if we can walk in step with the Spirit, connecting with God, treating the other person with kindness, then, boy, everything goes great. The problem is, sometimes we start to operate in the flesh, right? the worst version of ourselves. Now, here's what's really frustrating. You could be in a great place, and if your spouse comes home and they're not in a good place, and they're operating in the flesh, then they might say something that suddenly triggers you, and now you're upset. And then you say something that makes them even matter. And this is a trigger cycle, right? You're mad, hurt, 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 hurt people, hurt people, right? And so what you try to do is work very hard to not trigger the other person. Uh, typically, we know the other's triggers, right? We know which buttons to push if we want to get them mad. Um, and so if you can try to walk in step with the spirit, if you can avoid triggering the other person, and then uh, avoid using harsh words or losing your temper. And when you do, think of it like a relapse. All right? When you relapse, did you know in a recovery world that if you relapse, say you haven't drank in years, and then you relapse, there's actually a coin you get. And I forget the name of it. Does anyone remember? A coin you get for just wanting to start again. Does anyone know? Desire a desire chip. All right? So when you relapse at home, you use... Language you don't mean to use, you're angry, you're frustrated, you can immediately say, wait, 
I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I want my desire chip. All right? I, I just blew the last five weeks of good behavior. But I want you to forgive me. My desire is to work on this. Right? I have relapsed. What happens is when you can say, I, I'm sorry, sooner, because what happens is normally we relapse, we hurt that person, and then we don't resolve it, and then it goes a few days not being resolved, and then this person that was hurt feels like this person's never going to say they're sorry. This person feels like, well, I can't say I'm sorry now because it's been several days, right? And, just, and it just builds. But if you can move to the place where I'm sorry is closer to the blow-up, the better. And if you can forgive closer to the blow-up, the better. Now, even better is you start fighting that battle in the mind and you don't blow up, right? But when you get that desire chip, right, you're moving towards apology as soon as possible and you're working towards forgiving as soon as possible, right? Now, here's another thing to do. Uh, if you find yourself in a fight that doesn't seem to be on the verge of, of, of uh, getting better, by the way, have, uh, have these conversations. Conflict resolution should never happen in front of the kids. Right? You, you, you should try, because sometimes we end up using the kids to make our point and vice versa. Right? But if you can move this conversation, here, here, something happens at dinner. Something triggers you. It's really bothering you. What you do is, after you get the kids to bed, by the way, once they're teenagers, they go to bed after you. It's awesome. Right? I, don't, I don't read to nobody but myself now, <laughs> and it's fantastic. Uh, but eventually, what, what you could do is something happens at dinner, you go up to your spouse and you say later privately, hey, could we talk after the kids you know, are uh, not annoying us? And uh, yeah, that'd be fine, sure, what's up? Uh, you know, I know you probably didn't mean this, but like if you go in with an assumption of this was a misunderstanding, then you'll be amazed at how that person may not get so defensive, right? If you go in guns a-blazing, they're probably going to start firing back. But if you can, and it's hard if you've been hurt, to go in and say, hey, I don't know if you meant this the way I took it, but this really bothered me when. And if you, the, the, the offender, can say, I'm so sorry. You know what? I shouldn't have said that, especially not in front of the kids, right? I've, I've been, you know what usually happens? We usually blow up because we didn't say something the day before that's been bothering us. So that's why if you can get to having these meaningful conversations where at the end of the day it ends with forgive me, I forgive you, and vice versa, that's when you're in a great place. Now here's what you do with that issue you cannot solve in that moment. Add it to your list of things to be resolved. Right? So I gave you a, a sheet of paper uh, called communication and another one called conflict resolution. If you want to look at that for just a moment, this could, uh, we'll just talk about this for just a second. Here's the idea. What if you move to once a month, if during the week you're trying to be kind to each other, you're trying to serve each other, but then you've got these big decisions you've got to make. If you can move those big decisions to, let's just say once a month, if you need to it first, every Thursday night, right? Or uh, if you can move kind of these hard conversations to, like a coffee shop, where you know you'll be on better behavior, right? Uh, you move hard conversations into public, if you can. And then you literally, if you, um, I mean, if you want to go all in, here's what you do. You take that communication sheet, you work on it on your own, and then you come together for your once a month business meeting, and you've each come with, here are the three things I want us to work on. 
Here are three things in our marriage I think we should work on. And for some reason, by writing it down and bringing that piece of paper, it does not feel as uh, vindictive. It, it, you're literally like, well, my paper says we should work on this, this, and this. Somehow it moves it from you never and I always to I think we should work on these three things. Now, if you both have one issue that you both feel like would be worth working on as a couple, that's the one you tackle. And then what you do is you get together the next time. On your own, you work through the conflict resolution worksheet, which has 10 ideas. You brainstorm 10 things we can do to work on this particular issue. And you come to that, and you literally look. My 10 are this. Your 10 is this. Oh, we match in three. Suddenly, two people who could not get on the same page have actually agreed on a problem area and three solutions to move forward. Now, in between, I would also encourage you, if you have uh, mentors, people that you respect, maybe a half step ahead of you on your, their spiritual journey or in their marriage, going to them to say, hey, I'm working uh, on this and I'm thinking about that. How can I be a better spouse? All right. So all that to say, if you can resolve every day, if we can't come to a conclusion in this area, we'll at least write it down and set aside some time for later. By the way, for the chasers, that feels good. Uh, for the runners, that feels good. We don't have to deal with it now. The chasers are thinking, well, good, we'll deal with this then. And then you're not as tired. It's not after a long day. It's literally a set-aside business meeting. So you go in with super low expectations, right? It's about working through the logistics of life because marriage is a constant uh, negotiation and renegotiation of issue after issue, all right? Okay, here's the third thing. So you're working on your relationship with God, number one. Two, you're working on resolving conflict every day, not going to bed angry. And three, this is something I found remarkable. When couples do this together, the chances of them getting to divorced is one in 10,000. And that is simply this. Pray together out loud every day. Now, in many ways, this makes a lot of sense, but it seems counterintuitive. I'm not talking about praying over a meal. I'm not talking about praying with your kids if you have children. I'm talking about maybe at the beginning of the day or the end of the day, you hold hands and you pray that God would bless your spouse. And you pray uh, that whatever you know they're working through. This isn't a prayer and God convict her because she is not seeing this the way she stood. This is a prayer of blessing. You are blessing your spouse. You're blessing your partner just as your partner is blessing you. Now here's what's really amazing. If you are working to resolve conflict uh, and uh, that prayer time is really easy. Say you decide to pray at the end of the day. But when you are angry, it's really hard to hold each other's hands and pray. All right? You don't even want to be in the same room, much less hold hands and pray a blessing. And so if you can get there, if you can resolve conflict and pray together, you'll actually be connected spiritually and emotionally, which leads to the fourth thing. By the way, there's a great talk. Again, I'll send this in the notes. It's called The Secret Sauce for Marriage by Andy Stanley. He's the one who shared this uh, statistic, and he tells you kind of the science behind it. But I'll send you that as another resource. All right, number four. Stay connected 
and pursue each other. Stay connected and pursue each other. So without being intentional, we drift apart. That's literally going to happen. That is true in your relationship with your parents, true in your relationship with your brothers and sisters, your cousins, your best friends. You will drift. That is human nature. And then when you add to it new jobs and new cities and babies and the darkness that comes in and out of our life, we, will, uh, we are engaged in a battle for marriage. Uh, I forgot to read this passage earlier, but there's a beautiful passage in Ephesians 5 that tells us that your marriage is a picture, a reflection to the world of God's love for his church. So it is no surprise that darkness, the enemy, will come after your marriage. That's the best place to keep you from becoming the person that God wants you to be. And if there's drama at home, it's hard not to let that drama seep into every part of your life. And so your marriage is your most important relationship, uh, more important than your kids. And in fact, kids uh, inadvertently, unintentionally can actually come between us. And it's more important that your kids see you kind to each other, loving each other. Uh, that's sometimes the best attention for your kids, right? All right, so staying connected and pursuing each other. Um, I'll give you again some, some um, sermon series you can listen to. Uh, but part of that would be this. Go on a date. Some of you are taking copious notes. All right, you remember when you fell for each other, right? When you were dating, you were getting to know each other. Now, unfortunately, sometimes what happens when we spend time together it's all about the logistics. It's all about the kids. It's all about the jobs and the cars and the mechanics. And we get just inundated with just the details, the minutia of life. And so making time to go on a date. Now, here's what's ideal. If you can go on a date once a week, well, that's ideal. But if you're like, that's impossible right now, okay, once a month. And try to build toward it, all right? Try to build toward it. What Deborah and I was, were able to do at a certain point, once both kids were in school, is Fridays became our date day. Breakfast and a movie, and childcare was provided by the LA school district. It was awesome, all right? <laughs> and so that Friday little window from you know, nine to three was our little date. And it's really hard. When you go on a date, you don't talk about logistics. You don't talk about what's gonna end up in that business meeting. It's actually a chance for you to talk about the number one thing that we talked about earlier. What are you learning in your relationship with God? That's a great thing to talk about. Or uh, I'll give you some links to some great little assessments, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, StrengthsFinder. Uh, sometimes a great way to get to know each other even more is to take these kind of assessments and spend time on your dates talking about it, getting to know each other. Now on these dates, certainly watching a, a band, uh, watching a movie is fun. But what I mean is like looking each other eye, in each other's eyes, right? Having a conversation over dinner or on a walk or a drive, right? Creating the space where you can enjoy continuing getting to know each other, hearing about their day, their week, talking about their dreams, their hopes, looking for ways to connect like you used to. Now, it may not go exactly the way it used to at first, but, you know, 30-minute walk, that is pleasant, talking about your dreams, talking about your hopes, talking about what you're learning from God can go a long way in creating the space 
to get to back to a place where you enjoy each other. Because eventually, if you have kids and you're in that crunch season of life, where you're running around, driving them around, and they have their lives and all this happens, eventually they're going to be gone. And if that's the only thing that unites you to each other, you will not have anything uniting you once they're out of the house. Right? Uh, now, uh, in the midst of this, kind of pursuing each other, staying connected, not only dates, nights, but looking for ways to serve your spouse. There's this little uh, app that uh, I'll send to you that basically someone sent me today, a couple that I officiated their wedding about four years ago. It, it's a, literally an app that sends you ideas every day on ways you can serve your spouse. Uh, so if you don't have any clue of the things that would make your spouse feel loved, uh, I'll give you this app, all right? Uh, and it's helpful, right? It just kind of reminds you. You get a little reminder. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm married. I should say something nice, right? Uh, we can get sucked into day-to-day -day stuff, right? Um, and as I mentioned earlier, kind of setting aside this regular business meeting once a month so that you can have this special time that's actually uh, more enjoyable. Um, also, I want to just mention this. There is a, a passage in the scriptures where basically Paul writes in, uh, to the, in the letter to the Corinthians, I'll send you this passage. It says this to married couples. It says, do not stop being intimate. That's in the Bible. Do not stop being intimate with each other unless you both agree so that you can fast and pray, and only do so for a short season so that temptation might not come against you. And so, if that's an area of your life that's wonky, again, for those of you that are married, it's a great way to like, you know what, let's just pause, push pause, let's fast and let's pray for each other in this area. Let's ask God to help bring healing in this area, and perhaps even sit down with a counselor if this is an area that's uh, a struggle, right? Um, for other couples, it's this idea of if you're you know, not yet married, my encouragement would be consider fasting from, from intimacy until you get married. One of the things that's really interesting is uh, sex actually can be um, like a Band-Aid, right? It doesn't really fix your problems. You feel closer to each other, but there's still this resentment, and it actually short-circuits good communication. And so using uh, a time for fasting could actually be a really healthy thing to learn to communicate, agree, we're going to fast for the next week, the next month, or until we get married, or whatever your circumstances might be. But I've seen uh, couples really, um, really healed in that area. One couple that was living together that came to me wanted me to officiate, and I challenged them with this, and they're like, oh my gosh, are you, sh well, is, are you sure that's in the Bible? Like, is it like fasting and waiting, and, and I was like, why? When are you guys getting married? They're like, a year from now. I was like, oh. <laughs> you know, normally I'm in, with couples, and they're getting married in like six weeks or something. And you know what? They did it, and they came to me on that day and thanked me, saying they are now closer than ever having fasted from being intimate for that previous year. Because, again, it can, it can short-circuit communication. So when you're married, it's, it's actually what the Scriptures tell us we should be doing. We should stay uh, close and connected in that way. In many ways, it's supposed to be a reminder of that wedding night, of that covenant relationship that you made with each other. All right, we'll move on from the pastor talking about sex to number five. All right, number five. Finally, last thought, if you can do this, 
I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but connect with others. Having others speak into your life, having others help you make decisions. If you both have your own little board of directors, right? Think of it like that. If you're in the business world, you each have kind of a board of directors, or running partners. You have people that are walking the same walk that you can go to, and they will sometimes tell you, you are being unreasonable. Or they might say, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's hard. Have you thought about praying for them, right? How's it going on your date nights? Well, we haven't had one in a month because I'm so mad. Well, you know, again, having someone else that can keep you accountable to living the kind of life you want to live. And that can happen very uh, quickly and easily. I mentioned running partners. Uh, In the scriptures, Jesus had his group of three guys. And then those three guys were part of the 12, right? Those 12 were part of the 70. If you know these stories from the scriptures, the 70 were serving together, and then they were all there at the Sermon on the Mount. Think of Gateway. Sundays is like the Sermon on the Mount. There are disciples there, and there's also skeptics and people searching. And the 70 is serving others with others, right? Today we're celebrating our volunteers. That is a great way to get to know other people. Suddenly you have other people in your life as a voice of encouragement. Next thing is the 12, stepping into a life group having a few others that are kind of walking with you, helping you understand the scriptures and apply them to your life. And then the three, the running partners. Just what's easy about that is when you need somebody, you text them, you call them. And typically, if you've found three people that are part of your life group and your life group are made up of people you're serving with, it doesn't feel like lots of different things you're doing. It's just layers of relationship that are very healthy. And some of that might be when it comes to connecting with others, it could be finding a, a good counselor, a Christian counselor. Timothy Center is now in South Austin, and they take insurance. Center for Relational Care has been a place that's helped me and my wife and many others in our church family. They're also in South Austin. Those are two that I highly recommend. 